All right, well, let's get into it. So <clears throat> one of the things that uh, happened on our vacations, we went to Devil's Den State Park. I can't remember the last time I was there, but I think it might have been when I was younger. We moved here when I was about 11 years old, halfway through sixth grade, and I can vaguely remember it. But we went out there, and my brother-in-law, Ron, that lives in Nebraska, had this elderly man pass away who was a, an adventure person. He had equipment that was top dollar survival gear, but it had been stored for a long time, and I, I was given all this stuff, which was some of it was blessing, some of it was pretty uh, smelly and, and bad. But we, we started scavenging through things, but there was a nice trail backpack with a metal frame. You know, you can pack a lot of stuff on that, and it feels lighter because of the frame. So I'm thinking back in my days of being fit, and I'm kind of feeling the weight, and I'm thinking, this isn't so bad, this, this should be fine. But we got out there, and we also need water shoes if we need to cross the creek, right? So then Jen uh, packs in the water shoes, and it's a little heavier. And, you know, this and that goes in there. Before you know, I don't know where it was. It might have been 50 to 70 pounds. And obviously, I have, you know, gained some weight over this year. And so we start on the trails, and we pick the easy one. It's supposed to be some waterfalls on there, a cave where cold air is coming out. It's just we're going kind of late in the day. So uh, trails, they close the trails at like 8 o'clock or dark. And the people start going home at 8 to 8.30 that work at Devil's Den. So I had a GPS unit. I'm talking, I had, I had all kinds of stuff. I had fire starters, you know. That's the way my mind works. What if we get trapped out somewhere and we have to build a fire? And I've got all this stuff, you know. It's supposed to be a short trip. Well, ironically, we took a wrong turn onto what looked like a trail. And it was at one time. But the longer you got going, it was less and less of a trail. And I'm talking about crev crevices that went down into a cave that was a long, long drop some pretty rough terrain. We're having to keep the kids close. And it kept going up gradually, and all of a sudden it started going steep. And we'd gone a ways, and I'm really starting to feel bad, like I can't carry my pack anymore. And here I've got a 5-year-old, two 10-year-olds, and my wife, and it's about 30 minutes till dark. And I'm starting to think about this, and I think, you know, I think we can find backtrack and find our way, but it gets dark, that gets a lot harder, even with a flashlight. And i got a compass and all that, but, you know, this has been a while for me. So... I try to think, you know, wisely. I'm trying to teach the kids also what to do in a situation I didn't intend to, but we got a good lesson in it. So I think, well, i got to go a little higher, and I'll get a cell phone signal. So I got up there. I called the folks. I said, this is my name. This is who I've got with me, my kids. We are a little bit lost, so if we don't show up. So we made arrangements that they would wait until we got back. I said, here's my parents' number if you find our bodies. No, I mean, I just, you know, but I did. I gave them parents' numbers. I tried to make sure they knew. I mean, that's what you should do. You try to get a hold of somebody that someone knows you're out there. And then we begin the process. Come to find out, it used to be part of the trail, and they stopped using it because of the crevices. It was kind of dangerous. So we backtracked, found our way, and we got down there. And the little uh, young girl working there that was part of the forestry department, I guess, you could tell the relief on her face when I walked in because I could almost read on her face. Buddy, you are well over 200 pounds, and I cannot carry you down that path. But she was, she was certain uh, that it was going to be a bad situation. You could just tell the relief. Well, you know, in those times, our mind tells us that we can do so much, and then we get into these hard situations, and all of a sudden we realize, I am not what I thought I was. I can't do what I thought I could do on my own. And it makes me think about those old Popeye cartoons, right? Popeye gets in a sticky situation, and what does he do? He pops out a can of spinach, pops it open, one gulp, and immediately what happens? Come on, some of you remember. What happens? It's all right here, right? That's all he needs. His, his forearms get big. His forearms are just scrawny as can be. The rest, But all of a sudden, you know, big old thing, big anchor. 
and he defeats the enemy or whatever he does. He saves olive oil. Um, and, you know, it had been nice on that trail if I would have had that magical can of spinach. I could have just broke it up and said, kids, dad is Popeye today, and popped that down and trucked on. But I was done. I was finished. And um, so I ran across a, a couple of messages, and, and there were some uh, parts of a message from a pa- associate pastor, Derek uh, Tuper of Cornerstone Christian Church um, in, in uh, Illinois, I believe. He, um, it kind of reminds me of our church a little bit. They're the smaller church, they're, but they're more inner city. And they've actually got three different services that speak all three different languages of, um, I believe they have English, Vietnamese, and Burmese. They have a men's ministry in a room above their church where guys that are dealing with addiction or struggling can stay there and they help them with uh, spiritual teaching and get them back on feet. And um, they also have a house for ladies in the same situation. And I, I just reading through some of his messages, I just felt like he, he probably, uh, their church probably has a feel like ours. And um, he had this sermon titled Spiritual Spinach. Spiritual Spinach. And I believe if you look at in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, we're going to focus on verses 27 through 31. And uh, is this a good time? I should have already, I wanted the kids to hear the story, but uh, let me go ahead and dismiss before I forget. So teachers, if you want to head back first, kids, wait. I know that's unfair to get the teachers kind of into it a little bit. and then, Okay, kids, slowly go back. That was a good part of our vacation, too, was hearing that over and over. All right. So Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Um, you know, what spinach did for Popeye physically is what God can do for us spiritually. And I want to incorporate a disclaimer right off here because I'm not about to tell you from Scripture that it's as easy as we pop a few Scriptures and immediately we get immediate strength. Unlike Popeye, though, with the, uh, the spiritual spinach or the spiritual strength that God gives, it, it's not going to be instantaneous all the time, um, but it might be more of a, a gradual fill. In fact, you may have to grow the spinach first. But regardless, we need it no matter how it comes to us. And so let's look at this process for growing spiritual spinach. I'm going to read to you Isaiah 40, chapters, uh, chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. And I'm reading from the NIV tonight. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you, say, why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It was very evident to me about midway through our vacation how I should have listened to my wife long ago that we needed to get away. It was obvious to me that I had gone just a little, maybe a lot past that point where I needed a refreshing and renewal myself. The first thing from this passage in verse 27 we'll see is that we can have doubts. 
that it does not mean that you are a sinner, that you are apart from God, that you are unsaved because you have doubts. We can see in the book of Isaiah that's divided in two parts. Uh, the first is the first 39 chapters deal with impending judgment. Very negative. This is the judgment of God and impending judgment. And the second part deals with the forgiveness and deliverance. Now Isaiah is writing prophetically regarding the coming Babylonian captivity. So this is, they are, they are getting ready to, this is the pro- prophecy that captivity is coming, that punishment is coming. And obviously the Israelites were frustrated because God hadn't rescued them yet. They were no doubt also fearful having gone astray that perhaps God wasn't going to rescue them. And after a while they're thinking that God didn't care anymore. That, that therefore he wasn't going to do anything to help them. And we can feel that way too sometimes. Especially if we've disobeyed God and if we've asked for help and it hasn't arrived. This chapter starts out by declaring comfort for God's people. When we see in verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 1, it says, comfort, comfort, for my, comfort my people, says our God. And then as we read on, we see God will provide comfort for his people. His care and concern over our welfare is comfort for us. His power, his ability to strengthen and comfort us, God's uh, supplication of these things to us when we are weak and weary is great comfort to us. I mean, you think about for a moment, we take for granted that we come here a couple times a week. If you come Sundays and Wednesdays, you're here at least a couple times a week. You're at least touching base with other members of the family of God, and you go through worship and you sense the presence of God. But can you imagine the unbeliever who doesn't have that in their life? It has no connection to God's peace and to his restoration power, to his rejuvenating power, to, to his word that has power in it. Someone who doesn't surround their life with anything to do with God. How despairing that could be. But we gain great comfort from his power and ability to comfort us. And while in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, we saw we can have doubts, in verse 28 we see, but we shouldn't have doubts. Uh, you know, here it's asking a rhetorical question to which the answer is yes. And we often do that when we know what the answer is. We know um, we've already heard the answer and we know it, but yet we're acting as if we hadn't. I mean, we do that a lot with God, right? Um, God, why do bad things happen to good people? We kind of know the answer to that, but in a moment of frustration, we still ask that. God, why do you allow the innocent to die? God, why do you allow my boss to treat me this way? If I'm walking in righteous steps with you, why do you let that happen? God, why do you let my business um, have struggles like it does when I'm tithing and I'm giving and I'm doing all the things Scripture says I should do, but yet I have all these struggles in my business or in my work or, or in my marriage? God, I'm trying to lead my family to the Lord, but it seems like me and my spouse just seem to disagree so much and, and it seems so hard. So we come to what's the, where's the, the question is, Where's our faith? Why do we complain that God isn't doing anything? Why do we think we, he won't help us? Why do we have doubts? Well, I want to jump to a different scripture for a moment in Luke chapter 18. In the first eight verses of Luke chapter 18. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So the nice thing about this passage is there's no mystery as to what the main point of the lesson is here. It gives it to us in the very first 
sentence. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's what he's trying to get across to them. So he goes on, he said, In a certain town here was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me my justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, what is this scripture saying? What is Jesus trying to teach his disciples here? He's trying to teach them that, that those things that you worry about, that you doubt God on, you know, if an unrighteous, ungodly, unloving, doesn't love men, a judge, an earthly judge, would simply answer a woman's request because she kept nagging and he didn't want to be bothered, then how much more will God hear your request and he's working on them? You, ha- you have to have trust. Not that he's had to work on them because it's beyond his capability, but sometimes things are more complex than we give it credit for. We ask for things that God has, you know, it's like when we ask, we're driving down the road, me and the kids, we're coming uh, back with some of our family from this kids' museum over in Oklahoma, this really neat place that went over, and we got to Tulsa, and they had terrible storms. I'm talking straight-line winds, and the rain was driving sideways. Cars stopped, we couldn't hardly see, hail started, and then lightning struck about three cars in front of us and hit a power line, and sparks went everywhere. And we were getting concerned because we were a ways away from where we're supposed to be meeting everybody. And the kids and Jen, they begin to pray that God would calm the storm. They did. And, you know, the amazing thing is how God will seem to do things for my kids and my wife that he doesn't do for me. Because shortly after there, the storm's calmed and we went in the restaurant to meet everybody. And pretty soon we're looking out and everything was done. But my point to this is, is that I remember times when, you know, it had been dry and people had been praying for rain. The farmers praying for rain because their crops, a lot depend on it. And then it rains on the day you're going to go to the theme park. You're like, God, could you just stop this rain today? And all the prayers going, you know, I use that as a kind of a simple to, to understand example. But many times we pray for things when we don't understand that there is a lot more impacted by our prayer than we give credit for or that we can understand. God often knows that if he answers our prayer the way we're asking for it, the way we're praying it, that it could um, do things for other people that is not in line with his will. But we see in this passage that if we are persistent in prayer, it means we continue to believe that he can do what we ask. This judge gave in because he was concerned about getting worn out, not because he cared about the lady or her problems. He just didn't want to be bothered anymore. But God's not like that. He'll not get weary with our coming to him. Neither can we wear him down until he gives in. So we can keep coming to him with what is on our heart until he makes it clear. And until we hear that the answer is no, we should not give up. And that's the point of that passage. Jesus said right in the beginning, he wanted to teach his disciples, you should not quit praying and you should not give up. 
says his understanding no one can fathom. We as finite beings can claim to know the, the infinite mind of God, uh, and we may think that we do, but we don't. We shouldn't think that we know what's right and best, and we have a limited view and a limited capacity for analyzing and problem solving. We have to be careful that we aren't trying to play God in our lives, that we leave that space for him to decide what's best for us. Pray and ask him for his help, but don't try to dictate how he does it. And who are we to think that we should dictate how things should go to an all-knowing and all-powerful God, the creator, of, the creator, and we're not the creator. He has dominion over everything, and we don't. And we need to have humility and patience and things like faith and trust and humility and patience, we'll, and they keep us strong. You know, there's a, a, I'm starting to notice words that aren't used as much in church settings. Um, we had an awesome time going to church the last two Sundays. Um, the first Wednesday uh, was my uncle's funeral, and they dismissed services at that church because of the funeral, so we ended up timing-wise not getting to go anywhere Wednesday night, that Wednesday. Um, and the following Wednesday, um, it didn't work out either, but those two Sundays we did. And it's really a blessing to just go in and be that visitor, although we went to churches where we are familiar and uh, apparently didn't sit in enough inconspicuous space and both times got called out. Uh, in the service for for being there, um, what last Sunday was Bella Vista, and I actually had to give a speech. It was uh, not what we expected. So next time we'll be in the balcony if we do that. But but you know it, it gave me a perspective when I went in that <clears throat> that you know we take some things for granted when we get used to being in church, being church people from someone that's walking in that doesn't know hardly anybody there and doesn't know uh, much about the the church, and we we take for granted that they're that they're there already knowing God. And, and we noticed, uh, you know, Belvis was great. A lot of people knew us, so that wasn't a good test. But another church we went to, um, only a few people knew us. And then until the pastor called us out for being there, not many others did. And we noticed how, you know, we didn't really get greeted and we didn't really know, you know, what we were supposed to do. At first when we walked in and there's a lot of things. It was kind of an eye-opener to me. And not passing judgment on that church at all because we all struggle. I know we have our own struggles here. But we need to um, realize that God has put us in a place where he has a plan for every church, every person, every church. And he's trying to carry out that plan. And we are the people, we are his hand extended to be the ones to carry that out. We can't assume anything. We can't assume we know his plan. We can't assume we know uh, what others are thinking. Uh, the second thing about the spiritual spinach, if we look in verses 29 and 30, is that, he is the only one that can give us this spiritual spinach. He is the only one that can give us the spiritual strength. The fact is, we all get weary and weak. You know, first half of our vacation, I kept trying to think of things to keep things moving since we were doing a staycation, doing day trips. You know, what do, kids, what do you want to do today? About halfway through the vacation, I thought, why am I working so hard to entertain them? This is my vacation too, and when I get tired, it's time to rest. And we, and we started putting the brakes on saying, all right, we're going home. Like it or not, we've done enough today. You guys keep yourself busy. Mom and dad taking a nap. And we all get tired. We all have limits. And when we realize that, because there are times when we are unwilling to realize that, and we acknowledge that God is the one who can help us, he will strengthen us, empower us. We need to yield to that. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me.
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me, says Jesus is the one who can ease our burdens and release our stress, but we have to come to him. And then it talks about rest for our souls. We, we need to see here that Jesus isn't talking about being weary and burdened physically as much as he is spiritually. And some of us are so hungry for God to do something in our lives, but spiritually we feel dried up because we're making ourselves so busy in our lives, we're keeping ourselves so occupied with other things that we give no time for God to just bring us to a point of rest and where he can finally speak to our hearts and bring a little peace to our lives. I'll just tell you the little litmus test I did of staying off Facebook for two weeks. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say Facebook can't be used for ministry. I'm not going to say I won't be back on there. Some, I've already been on a little bit since we've been back. But the amount that I checked Facebook before, it wasn't so much your post or what you put or anything like that. That was joyful. But you're inundated with all this negative news. And most of it's probably not even accurate. And I realize how much just being here and that all the time, I, I realize, man, I've been living thinking that, man, we've got, we've got jihadists getting ready to break down the door any minute. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a problem in this world and we don't have concerns. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying there's a difference between living in fear and just being aware of your adversary. And I found that I was not getting rest sometimes just because there was enough heaped on every day of just worry and I didn't think I let it affect me, but I did. And being unplugged from it two weeks, all of a sudden I'm like, you know, life's pretty good. God's given us a great place. We got out in nature and like, there are some beautiful things to see in nature. And I don't know what's coming tomorrow, but the Bible says not to worry about that anyway. So I think I'll just sit here in this creek a little bit and let the cold water run over my toes and remind myself that God created this place for us to inhabit and for us to, to control, right? And that he's got me. And he wants me to rest. And when I get to the point where I can't rest, then I can't hear his voice and I can't, I can't receive from him because I'm so full of everything else that I put in my life and I'm, I'm stressed out. But when we're weary spiritually, we need spiritual rest and rejuvenation. Before we come to Christ, our soul is in a state of unrest. You think about what your life was before you knew Christ. I don't know all your stories. Maybe some of you were saved at a young age. You've not really run from God, as some say, or had a really sketchy past. But some of you may also know that um, there's chaos and frustration before salvation. Maybe you remember a time there's no peace. I remember when I ran from God and I met Jennifer and her and her, her uh, uh, friend at the time were trying to disciple me. I remember I'd gotten around uh, not the best crowd and they felt free to show up your house any time of night. And when we got married and moved to Bella Vista, one night she left the car door open when she brought groceries in and forgot it, and a police officer drove by and got worried that we had uh, a problem there. And when he couldn't wake us, he finally pounded on the door so hard it shook our, all the glass around the house. Scared me to death. And for a moment, I re remembered what it was like to never know if you could get a full night's rest or not. If somebody could just show up. And... Um, you know, that sometimes we allow things in our life that maybe even aren't uh, from sin, but they've just, we've just allowed the business of life to get in and start to push God's time out of our life. And so we can't get to a point where he can bring us to a state of rest. Within the sinful nature, there's discontent and lack of fulfillment. There's a void. 
And let me tell you something. I, I also realize that the more we fill our lives with other things than God, the more we start filling the void. You can't get enough. You know what? You think, okay, well, I'm working a lot of hours. That should be fulfilling. And all of a sudden you're like, well, that's not enough. Now, now I can't wait for vacation. So I got to work a lot now. And then when I go on vacation, I go and do a bunch of stuff and then end up coming back tired. And that's what we've done before on vacations. We've, we've tried to do so much in them because we're just so used to packing our lives full of, full of stuff. Just every minute's got to be full of stuff. You got you to have more. But even after we come to Christ, we can struggle with such things from time to time. We will have times where we need to rest for our souls and, and where we need to go off to a quiet place and meditate and pray. If it was important for Jesus himself to get away once in a while, then don't you think it's important for us? Let me stop right here for a minute and let me just ask you and you answer in your, your mind, how much time a week do you have where it's just completely quiet and you have time to just clear your head and think about the things of the Lord and let him speak to your heart? Not even you praying, but you just giving time to the Lord to just have that time with him. If you're struggling right now with feeling a void or feeling overwhelmed or, or burdened, you're thinking a vacation is going to fix that, you know what? It's not. In fact, the thing that brought us rest on this vacation is because we gave time to conversation between us and our kids about the Lord. In fact, one of the churches we visited, there was someone we ministered to several years ago that's gone through, they, they took off and they, they let Satan have their way again and they spotted us in a service. They had actually come back for the first time that day to church and a friend invited them to that church. And then this pastor has us stand up and talk and they see us and literally came up to us just bawling saying they couldn't believe that God would bring them there to that church and then of all times we would be there. And it reminded them about the time when God was really interacting their life and they walked away from it. And they had just filled their life so busy, pretty soon it's like, well, I can't make it to church for this reason. Or I can't make it to this, this uh, church fellowship for this reason. And they were getting less and less of time around the people of God until, until next thing you know, the most of their influence from other people were ungodly people. It wasn't the people of God because they had separated themselves enough from the church body that they weren't getting enough interaction with people of God. And then Satan finally had his way in their life. But even though Jesus was talking about rest for our souls, there can be an interesting connection between the two, between being physically and spiritually tired. When we're emotionally and psychologically or spiritually weary, it can physically wear us out and quite often vice versa, but it can get to the point where you physically get ill because you push so hard, you push God and his design for your body and for your mind and for your soul to the point where it breaks. So it's important to know that Jesus is the one who can give us the rest we need all around. He can revitalize us through, um, through his word and through his presence and through experiences with him. Isaiah 40, verse 30, references unexpected weariness. And even the ones who have the most energy get weary. Even the ones who are strong and vibrant stumble and fall. Many times when you feel like you're the closest to God, you are at the biggest risk of uh, taking on too much. And the reason for that is because when you're operating under God's strength, it's easy to start taking credit for some of that yourself. You start thinking, oh, look at all this happening. I, I'm doing this. Look at what I'm getting done. And God's been helping you. And all of a sudden you think, okay, well, I can, I can do more. I can keep going. Or 
or you get less time with him or less time with those he's put in your life to help refresh you. And you push yourself and push yourself. And then you're all of a sudden like, wait a minute, I thought I'm doing this with God and I'm just, I'm broke, I'm worn out, I'm, I'm burned out. And you have to have a humbling moment and say, you know what, somewhere along the way, Jesus was trying to go with me and I walked a different, different direction. It shows that everyone is human and is subject to becoming weak. I don't care how strong you are, how fit you are, how smart you are, how capable you are, what you've been able to do in your past, um, you're able to and do and can only take so much. We have our human limitations, and this uh, shows that even our best of us, the best of us wear down. Our human strength can only take us so far, and human strength can only accomplish so much. And it's true from a spiritual perspective, too. The ones who are spiritually mature get weary at times. Even those who are stable and are still capable of stumbling, they're still capable of stumbling and falling. You know, I've mentioned this before. For a pastor or someone that's in full-time ministry, your majority of your time is spent around difficult situations in people's lives. And you're sharing that with them. They're sharing that with you. You're carrying some of that load. You're your, your concern for them, it's like a family member. If they get sick, you begin to concern. And if you don't have a time of refreshing and let God rejuvenate you, then you end up wearing down yourself. And you don't have to be in full-time ministry for that to happen. If you're trying to win people at work and, and do the Lord's work at work, and you're surrounded by negativity all the time, but you aren't spending time in the Word, meditation, letting the Lord speak to you, refreshing, getting away, having that time with him, it will wear you out. It will break you. And Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. There's a but there. But those who hope in the Lord. This is a good but. Sometimes there's not, they're not good. Sometimes uh, it can be, hey, I think you're a nice guy, but I'm just not looking for any new friends right now. And, but this is a time when that word is, is used in a good sense. Isaiah is stating that the inevitable, the, the inevitable followed with a reason for hope. You will become weary, you will become weak, but if your hope is in the Lord, you'll become strong again. And if our hope is in who? In the Lord. Not in our own strength, not in our job, not in this country, not in the next leader, but our hope is in the Lord. And then Psalms 20 verses 7 and 8 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. So if our hope is in ourselves or other people or other things as a source of strength, we'll end up greatly disappointed. I was greatly disappointed in myself that day on that trail at Devil's Den. I really thought in my head I, I could tough that out, um, but I hit my limit. And when the reality is, I've got three young kids and a wife that I have brought up this trail. And if I have to send them on their own to find their way back, all that gear is nice. But I have to sit there waiting to make, I wonder if they made it back. And then somebody's got to carry me down. It was a very humbling and embarrassing moment. If we look to any other source, we'll end up completely depleted. Ourselves, this country, the, this government, our jobs, our bank accounts, all those things will disappoint. Only hope in the Lord will never disappoint. And Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
In other words, come under my control if you want to rest for your souls. Uh, it, it only works if we are under the lordship of Christ. Our strength will be renewed when our hope is in the Lord. It makes perfect sense that, that he is a source of endless power. When we're depleted, the Lord's spirit cha- uh, charges us up again. His word, like what we are looking at tonight, encourages and motivates us to get moving again. His spirit ministers us and revitalizes us. When he works through fellow believers, it sharpens us and spurs us on, giving us motivation we need to press on. His power, his rejuvenating power is endless. One of the things in my pack that I want to do survival stuff, you know, that you can never, that's never ending. You know, eventually I have to come to the realization is I can't carry a house on my back, you know. I can't carry a trunk. But I start thinking, you know what I'm missing? is one of those little solar-powered charging units, you know. Because, you know, you always, if you have sun during the day, you can always charge your cell phone or your GPS. And so I'm thinking, you know, next thing I know, on vacation, I was using my phone to look up how much those things cost and, and, and thinking about that. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's like Jesus the same way. As the closer we get to the Son of God, the more energy we have, and it's not costing us anything in a sense. I mean, yes, it, it'll cost you what the world says is fun. It'll cost you what they say is success. It'll cost you what they say is socially acceptable, what is politically correct. But it won't cost you anything from what God intended you to have when you draw close to him. But he is an endless source of power. And since ne- God never grows tired, he is an endless source of power to renew our strength. Even if we need to be renewed 100 times a day, it's one of those things I notice. There's a wide range of price ranges on the solar power chargers. That's because some will charge, I don't know, they charge your car. But when you're, when you're looking at needing recharging from the Lord, it doesn't matter how many times you need recharge. He is always there. And then we look what we are able to do when we're hope is in the Lord. Uh, we see that in, verse, uh, in chapter 40, verse 31b. And it says, soar like an eagle. Now, he could have picked any bird. To illustrate this point, but why an eagle? Now, I'm glad that I do research when I look at other people's sermons and look at their examples because one of the sermons used the example that eagles actually uh, pull out their feathers or they molt their feathers off, uh, eventually get new feathers that kind of renews their flying capability and that's why they're so strong. That's actually a myth and it's not true. And I'm glad I didn't use that because I looked it up on the national site about eagles. But here is something about eagles, I believe, why they, it was used in this verse. Because it says, soar like an eagle. It's not necessarily referring to strength and such as an eagle, but soaring like eagle. Well, let's, let's think about eagles and, and their soaring ability. They have a wingspan between six feet and seven and a half feet. I'm six foot one. That means that you can spread an eagle's wings out from my tip of my toes, and some of them will go another foot almost a foot and a half taller than me. That's a pretty good wingspan. And because that wingspan, they can fly up to 125 miles in one day. During mating season, they'll do that. Up to 125 miles. The other thing about it is when they swoop down their prey, which is what they do, you know the talons, they grab it, they can swoop down at over 100 miles an hour. Now you think about when you're doing 100 miles an hour, when I, I've done 100 miles an hour a few times on my motorcycle, and when you've got the wind in your face and you're going that fast, 
mortality is ever most on your mind. You know, I mean, that's a speed where you start to realize I, I am human and I, if this doesn't go right, I'm dead. And, but they can dive up to 100 miles per hour. This is a very powerful bird, and it says soar like an eagle. Uh, it's giving us this visual of not just flight, but of powerful flight, of strong, a strong class of bird. You know, he chose that bird for a reason, the eagle, because when we are renewed by the power of God, when we are strengthened by God, we can go the distance. We pick up speed. We have, we have power in our flight. There's this young boy who spent a, a summer with his grandfather and, and uh, found a small bird, just a little baby bird off on its own, and it kind of looked different and decided to put it with the chickens. Well, after his grandfather came out and took a look at it, he said, that's... That's an eaglet. That's a baby eagle. But they decided to go ahead and let him keep his baby eagle out there. And Then one day, as the baby chicks were all playing out there and, and the eagle had grown a little bit past them, and uh, a big uh, male eagle began to uh, circle around and began to call out. And as that eagle called out, that young eagle at first just looked up and, 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 and questioned what was going on. But eventually, from that call, that eagle had never thought of flying before when it was around the chicks, but all of a sudden spread its wings and took off and flew with the eagles. And why, uh, why was it that that, that, eagle who had not, that eaglet had not had any other uh, reference to what it was or what, until it heard that call? See, the chicks heard the, the father's eagle's call as well, but they only chirped in response and continued to eat their corn. But see... That little eaglet had a higher calling. He was destined to soar. And as Christians, we have a higher calling too. We aren't meant to stay on the ground. We're destined to soar. In verse uh, 31c, it says, run and not grow weary. And this made me think of what happened to Elijah. Elijah, after uh, had, had been shown the power of the Lord, when he took care of the prophets of Baal, if you remember, uh, and he got... Uh, scared at Jezebel's death threat and took off. Remember the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves into all kinds of things and he dumped barrels of water and mock them over the altar of the Lord and fire came down and consumed it. But then Jezebel made death threats and he got scared and he took off and it reached a point where he was weak and weary and he actually wanted to die. And this is another reference where spiritual spinach comes in because an angel appeared to him with some heavenly food and 1 Kings 19.8 says that he was so strengthened by that food he traveled for 40 days and nights. Angel brought him a can of spinach. When God strengthens us, we'll be able to do some pretty amazing things. And I began to reflect on this and think about this that there's so much going on in my life right now where I, I want to do more. You know, I was on the phone with the architect the other day and we we're making just a few minor changes. We thought we had final plans and there's a few things that need to be tweaked. And so he's working on getting the final drawings and next week we'll be applying uh, more than likely for our large-scale development plan through the city. Um, you know, October I'll be going to the MAPS convention and I'm thinking about all the things coming up. I'm thinking about how tired I get just in a normal day. I think, oh Lord, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? But then I'm reminded of Philippians 4.13. And I love this verse. It actually comes to mind quite often. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This doesn't mean we can do everything by ourselves and we don't need to ask for help. It does, doesn't mean we shouldn't set boundaries or recognize our limitations. But, it, but because we have been given spiritual spinach, we can do more 
than we ever thought possible. One common thing in, in younger ministers that I'm friends with that, that is a, a detriment to them sometimes is because they're doing things for the Lord, because they have a calling, because they know God is leading them, sometimes they can keep going thinking God wants them to keep pushing and they end up stressing out their families, they end up getting uh, worn out themselves and then sometimes we'll leave the ministry because they just push too long and God never intended them to push to that point. He wants us all to be refreshed. In verse uh, 31d, walk and not grow faint. One aspect of being faint is when we're, we're faint of heart. God also encourages the faint of heart. He, he oftentimes, when we are faced with a challenge, it can be pretty scary, and we can be timid and apprehensive uh, to take the leap of faith, but that's where we need some help. One thing God's been downloading uh, to me this last week that I'm uh, preparing a message about, I uh, started thinking about vision. And how that is so vital, not only for a leadership of a church, but for our people to have vision. As ministries grow, as we have young adults grow, as uh, youth grow, that the, there's separate uh, visions that roll up to the main one. But, but I started thinking, what is vision? What's really the components of vision? And I began to realize that, you know, you can't have vision unless you have faith. Because vision is seeing things that have yet not to come, but you know are to come. And then, not just having faith, but being faithful. Because a vision's worthless if you don't pursue it. And then there's a trust component. When we're talking about vision in reference to the Lord, we've got to trust Him that the vision He's given us, He will help us carry out. But sometimes, even with all that, with vision, we just need a little push. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Someone asked a paratrooper that had served in several wars how many times he jumped out of a plane while he was in the military. And he said, none. And they were confused. They said, I don't understand. You served as a paratrooper in multiple wars. And you said, you've never jumped out of a plane. He goes, no. I was pushed multiple times, but I never jumped. <laughs> and while that is comical, sometimes I feel that way when it comes to ministry. There's, I've been pushed a lot. Uh, I don't know that there's been too many times I've just jumped out of faith you know, but I've been pushed a lot. But when we're afraid of the challenge ahead of us, when we're timid to come out of our comfort zone, God will provide a loving nudge. When the task seems insurmountable, God will show us that through him we're capable of handling anything that comes our way. Paul told Timothy that God does not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power. And Timothy was a, was young but being asked to take on leadership and this leadership role by no, no doubt um, was expected of someone older and I'm sure put additional pressure on him because of his age. But Paul knew Timothy was gifted and he knew that the, the, right, the time was right regardless of age and to fan that gift into the flame. But Timothy had some concerns and needed to be encouraged. And that's why the church body is so important to each other. There's some of us that have gifts that we've probably been... been uh, mentioned to us by others but we're still so timid about them being used sometimes we need others in the church to nudge us and the holy spirit to use them to push us to, to use those gifts and whenever god puts us in in challenging positions taking a step into new and unfamiliar territory it's going to be intimidating but we can be encouraged to know that our god will equip us to meet that challenge you all have heard the saying, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. 
It's, it might be seem like that's been overused, but it's still true. He's not waiting till you gain the skill set to do what he's asked you to do. He's waiting for you to say yes, and he'll provide you all the tools you need along the way. And that's what's happening in our situation right here at New Song. You know, I've mentioned it before, but hey, listen, I pay attention to those, the, the, the uh, attendance count, uh, the offering count. I pay attention to all those things, believe me. Always fresh on my mind where we're at position-wise because I know God can do it. I know he will do it if we're supposed to build this building, but I still feel an awful lot of pressure, you know, to see that happen. And in your own situations, in your job, in your homes, your families, and you're part of New Song, so I'm sure that weighs on you too. Pastor CJ, how are we going to build this building? How are we going to do this? But you know, the Holy Spirit nudges me and says, what's your options? Do it your own way, take it the safe way out, stay in that little building, just plan on never, never ministering to more people than you can fit in the chairs that you have? Is that God's way? We have been placed in a challenging and intimidating position and we're being asked to come out of our comfort zones and in order for the eagle to be able to soar, he has to leave the comfort of his nest. I've used this analogy a couple years ago, um, but it's true how it happens. Um, many people don't realize this, but how the eagle gets the baby eagle out of the nest, anybody know how he does that? Builds a nest of thorns, thorny vines and branches, very prickly. But then before the eggs are laid, go in and they, they, from the fur of animals they killed, from other things, they, they tuck in a bunch of soft padding all around that inside. And as that baby uh, eaglet hatches and gets all warm and cozy in there, when it finally gets to the point where the, the, the mama eagle knows that they can fly, that it's time to leave the nest, the mama begins to pull out the soft stuff little by little. Until all of a sudden, there's no place that you can't get pricked a little. And those thorns start pricking that baby eagle. And finally, it says, you know what? It'd be better to take my chances on falling out of this nest than to stay in here. And that's how the mama eagle gets the baby eagle to fly. And so while I get concerned sometimes when things feel uncomfortable, you know, in ministry or what's going on at New Song or what's going on in the climate of our culture and the racism and all the stuff that's being called out and the, and the things that are being um, fueled, uh, the division in our culture, I think, well, I'm sure in many senses the church in America has laid dormant for too long. And God, the Father, way mightier, way smarter than any eagle, knows it's time to start plucking out the soft stuff. It's time to start letting the thorns poke us a little to get us to move to get us to soar like we're supposed to, to see what it's like to do 100 mile an hour down towards the goal that he set for us. And so we don't have to be afraid because we have a God who knows everything and can do anything and will give us his spiritual spinach when we are weak. Isaiah 41.10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in the essence of our weakness, we can see how, how the great strength of God is, how grateful we can be that he is what he has done for us that we cannot do for ourselves. So we boast not of our own strength, but of our great God who gives us strength. 
We need strength to get us through difficult situations and not lose hope. We need strength to resist temptation. We need strength to deal with uh, persecutions and sufferings. We need strength to continue to do the Lord's work when we feel like giving up. In Galatians 6, 9 through 10, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's not ever get tired of doing God's will. You know, I fully expected when we went to visit some other churches, the first one was a much larger church. Newer building, very exciting. Lots of bells and whistles, if you will. I, I, you know, I like the building and you know, I'm very impressed with it. And I fully expected, like times in my past, to walk in and think, oh, I wish we could, boy, if we could just have that, if we could have this. And You know, it was interesting. I really was surprised by the way I felt. I went in, first of all, and I worshiped just like I do here. I found that there's nothing different because their style of worship was different. The way I did it, a lot more lights, even a little smoke, all that kind of stuff, you know, different worship songs, paid staff up there. But I had just as good a time at New Song worshiping as I did there. Well, that wasn't different. And the message was good. In fact, uh, the pastor was doing a series, so I took time to listen before we went that Sunday, listen to uh, the previous sermons online, so I'd be ready for that, that Sunday to know where they're at. And, and uh, it was good. But I, I wasn't like, oh, man, we just got to change everything about how, you know, we, we have messages here. And, you know, um, people greeting all that. You know, I was just really, what, what are you trying to, what, God, what do you want me to get out of this? And, and you know what? I walked out there just excited for a new song. Because I'm like, you know, God has given us a unique story. He's given us a unique path. He's given us people who, who have been planted here on purpose for a reason. And I'm just excited about the future of New Song. And I don't have to be at any other church to get ideas for that because God has already got it planned out. And that's what I got excited about. I mean, I won't go through all again, but some of you know the way New Song started, the way this all happened. That just doesn't happen a lot. God has given us an interesting, a very uh, challenging uh, past and a future. And when I think about that day when we turn that key on that new building and walk in there and we are right in the hub of Centerton, I think, God, just help us. Like in that verse we read where Jesus was trying to teach his disciples about worrying about their problems and all that and not to give up and pray. At the end, he says, but when Jesus comes back, Will he find anyone with faith? In other words, will we just be about doing what we're supposed to be doing? Will we be trusting in God and doing what we're supposed to do? That's what he's trying to teach them. Don't give him your praying. At the end, I just want to know that you're here faithful, full of faith, and doing what I called you to do. I will strengthen you when you're tired. I will strengthen you when you're weary. I will bring that renewal, but you've got to trust in me and put your hope in me. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for a night to be reminded that, God, when we try to do things in our own strength, we wear ourselves down. That, Lord, you didn't design us to do it on our own. God, you didn't create man. You didn't create Adam and Eve. Drop them on the planet and say, okay, I'll see you when, the, when Jesus comes back. But, Lord, you built us. You designed us to interact with you, to do this together with you. Lord, for you to be our, our king, to be the leader 
and for us to follow your plan, follow your will. And Lord, we can't know that ahead. Lord, we have to learn how to hear your voice and trust you. God, we can't fill our lives with all these other things that push you out and then expect that our lives are going to feel fulfilled and that we're going to be rested and, and we're going to uh, find what we're looking for. God, help us a new song as we're getting ready to push forward into uncharted territory for us. Lord, that we won't get discouraged because there's a Sunday where it seems lower attendance or God, because uh, someone uh, decides this isn't the place for them and they leave or because God, whatever happens, Lord, that as long as we're staying faithful to you, faithful to what you put in front of us, faithful to work here, being good stewards of what you've given us, and Lord, we stick to the plan that you laid ahead of us. That, Lord, if you would return before we finish this project, God, you'll find that we were here being faithful all along. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to give us a moment. This is just a, a, a five-minute conversation with the Lord. I just want us to, to really stop for a minute. And beyond this message, I want us to just be reminded of why God brought us here. And I'm going to do the same thing for me. But I think it's good sometimes for us to take a moment of silence, let the Lord speak to us, and let's just clear our thoughts for a while and remind, remind ourselves why God brought us here to New Song. Remember those nudgings that he gave you and how you ended up here and let him kind of refresh in you that vision of what brought you here. And I want to just take a little more of this five minutes, second part of this. Your eyes still closed. I want you to think for a moment. You know, if you're here during our community series, then this will be very easy for you to recall. For those of you who weren't, God didn't design this to be a crowd. God didn't design church for us to come and go, to not interact with each other, to not be in each other's lives, to, to, to not know what's going on with each other. He didn't design it that way. And that is a struggle for a church to become a true community. And so, we shouldn't be harsh on ourselves if we're not there yet, but that's where we should be headed. With that in mind, and you now reflect back to why God brought you here, let me have you think of something else. What are you doing right now in your life? What are you filling your life with that matches up to both what God brought you here for and what he intends the church to be? And this isn't a guilt trip. This is just a kind of level set and think, God, am I on track? You brought me here for a purpose. And I'm here. Am I fulfilling what you intend the church to be through me? I'm not looking at the next person to me, next to me and think, well, they've been here longer. They should be doing it. But with me, am I doing everything that you intend me to be here? Because even though it seems like this doesn't tie in the message, I want you to think about being weary and tired and, and being uh, feeling that void and, and stressed. And many times it's just because of 
things getting out of whack from what God is trying to use to refresh us, to revive us. There are relationships here now that can be formed. There are ones that could come, people who come through prayer and through your focus on the ministry here that could bring the fulfillment and the rest and the peace that God intended for you, the reason he brought you here. Just because it's not happened yet doesn't mean it's not intended. It might be that we've just stayed too busy, we've let other things get in the way. So I want you to take a couple minutes now, uh, that five minutes, and I want you to just think about what's going on in your life now and does that align with what God has brought you here for. Okay, everybody can look up here. All right, the good news is this. This is exactly what God has done in my heart. When I got refreshed and got relaxed on vacation, you know what I hungered the most for? Is just be around you folks. But not just in service. I, I was thinking, you know, it seems like I've gotten so busy. It's like, man, I, I just want more fellowship. I want more time with God's people. I want more time, you know. I, want, I have to balance that with my family. My family needs me, but I, I need more time with my folks, my church. I need that. God's put you here for a purpose. He's put you here to be in my life. I need that. And if I need that, it's not because I'm just a pastor and that's what pastors need. That's what we all need. And so I realized part of my stressing and part of my getting to the point I so desperately need a vacation to unplug and relax is because I wasn't getting refilled. I was reading the word. I was praying. I was worshiping. But there was another component missing and it was I needed more community. I needed more of y'all my life and I want us to all think about that and the, the take home tonight the prayer is think about those stressors in your life and you think about those things where you're getting stressed and weary God's word he has the power but think about the resources he's put in your life to answer that it's not going to come out of some magic box he drops from the sky many times it's in the very resources he's put right around you some of them might see sitting in this room but we need each other and the only way new song is going to become a vibrant church a new building is not going to make us great you know, it's going to provide us a better tool to reach this community, but we need to have those relationships here and now, become refreshed, become rejuvenated, see revival break out in our church before we can ever even think of adding more numbers. We could add a thousand more seats to a, to a building and they could all stay empty if we don't get this right among ourselves. Amen? Good thing is, is I will tell you, I'm proud of our church. We are a very loving church. I felt so loved when we got back. Everybody just welcomed us back. And, um, you know, I missed y'all. I realized there are some good relationships already here. But with God, we can always improve on everything. Amen? So just just keep that in prayer. And uh, I'm working on something for Sunday. I believe is going to be um, uh, another springboard off of what God's done for me on vacation. And so I'm excited about it. And then pretty soon we're going to hit some uh, another series and uh, get into another series. Love y'all. Have a good night. Fellowship as long as you'd like. And then uh, uh, when you feel released, uh, head on home. Love you.